Imagine you get confronted by one of your best customers later today, and they are livid about something that your organization has done. Just livid. What would you do? By the end of this show, you'll know three steps to start with and how to use them. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode number 91. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly show to help people be better leaders through improved communications, human relations, and personal productivity. And hey, speaking of personal productivity, one thing that I'm always looking for more time to do is to spend more time reading. Ah, if I had more hours in the day, that's probably what I would devote my time to. And uh, it's challenging when you have a little one at home to really get that time to read. And so I have found these days that I tend to spend my time reading on uh, the publications that I know are going to really be most valuable to me when I sit down and do have that time. And one of them is the Harvard Business Review. I've been a big fan of HBR for many years. Uh, They have a great podcast as well and a wonderful magazine journal that uh, is published monthly. And I also follow their blog online. And I was doing some reading this past uh, week or two and came across an article called How to, S- How to Listen When Someone is Venting by Mark Golston. And as I started reading the article, uh, first of all, it says at the very beginning, it's probably not a good idea to read this before you eat. So that caught my attention right away. And then as I started reading through the article, I was like, hey, this is great stuff. Um, Not only is it really smart information, but it's uh, three really straightforward steps that pretty much any of us can do if we find ourselves in a situation where we are uh, having to, you know, be the recipient of venting from a customer Uh, from a colleague maybe, from an employee, uh, maybe even a family member or spouse. And so when that happens, and I think all of us have been in this situation and inevitably will be, here's three ways you can do that. So I I thought I'd uh, drop a line to Mark and see if he'd be willing to uh, stop by and come on the show and talk through these three steps. And he was very gracious to do so. In fact, we uh, I think we booked the interview in about 24 hours and uh, recorded even uh, before I had a chance to get all my questions together. So I am so thrilled to uh, welcome Mark to the show today. And here's my interview with Mark Golston. I'm pleased to welcome as my guest this week, Mark Golston. Mark is a business psychiatrist, executive consultant, keynote speaker, and co-founder of Heartfelt Leadership. He's the author of Just Listen and co-author of the recently released Real Influence, Persuade Without Pushing and Gain Without Giving In. Mark, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thank you for having me on. I mentioned earlier in the introduction uh, to the show that I had first come across your name and reading this article that you had posted on Harvard Business Review, and I'm going to go ahead and put a link in the show notes here to the article on how to listen when someone's venting. Um, Before I got into that, though, I'd I'd love to learn a little more about your background because on your website, reading about your experience and all the things you've done, I was just fascinated with all all you've done. I was wondering if you could just tell us how you... Got into the uh, got into the role of helping people become better leaders. Well, I, for many years, I was a clinical psychiatrist. I focused on suicide intervention, violence intervention, 
And I also did house calls to dying patients and their families. And when I was doing those house calls, I seemed to have some ability to resolve conflicts in hours that have been going on for decades. Mm. So after the founder died, sometimes the second generation would say, would you come in and help us? Would you help us cooperate? And, and that's how I crossed over to the business world. And I seemed to have some ability in identifying and bringing to light in a direct but not threatening way the elephant in the room. And what happened is, is I, uh, I've also been a, uh, a writer for many years, and so I've often interviewed leaders, and uh, often in the middle of a conversation, uh, they would reveal something, and, and then I'd ask them some questions, and they would, and they would just open up. Mm. And, some, and some of these leaders would say, uh, I can't hide from you. And I said, well, is that good? Mm. And they said, and initially they would say, it's weird, it's not bad, don't know if it's good, but I hide from, there's a part of me that I hide from everyone, including myself, and actually in the beginning of my book, Just Listen, I told the anecdote of a CEO who called me back and he was uh, distressed, and he said, please call me back, Dr. Goldston. And, and I called and I thought, what's wrong? And he said, no, nothing's wrong, I think you may have helped me a dodge a very bad situation. And I mm. said, what happened? He said, well, I presented, I talked to you about my son who's very smart, but he can't focus. And he's, I think his mom is kind of soft on him and he's not that disciplined. And I think he just needs to study more. And, and what you told me is that I was blowing it and that my son was in a lot of pain and I didn't see it. And uh, that I was kind of harsh on him. And I spoke to my son, um, and I said exactly what you said, and I said, uh, I'll bet you sometimes feel that your mom, but especially me, don't understand what it's like to know that you're smart, but you can't use your intelligence. Isn't that true? And then he said, my son got a little choked up, and I got a little choked up because I hadn't seen the pain in my son, because mm -hmm. he had responded to me with whatever, whenever I would bring things up. And I said, and I'll bet you sometimes feel that it's getting worse now that you're a junior in high school. And then my son just started to cry. And I realized that I had shamed him. I had criticized him. Um, and I said to him, I'm sorry that I broke you. Mm. And then my son looked at me and he said, um, I'm sorry for the things I've done to cope with it that you must never tell mom about. Oh. So what happened is, well, how does that get through the leaders is this, is this person then brought me in because he just realized he was missing many things in life. And so I think I focused on being a very, uh, a very skilled listener. Hmm. Tell us about, first of all, the analogy that you used in this piece about draining and, and ab abscess. Am I saying that right? Uh, you sure are. I'm a medical doctor. I'm a psychiatrist, not a psychologist. And so when someone's venting at you, I made the analogy of what we as doctors uh, uh, had to do, have to do when someone has an abscess. And what you have to do when someone has an abscess is you have to drain it. You have to wipe off that bulging red area, uh, sharpen your scalpel, uh, stick it in, and then let the pus drain. 
This is the part, by the way, if you're uh, if you're eating anything while you're listening to the show to probably stop eating. Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. Continue. I think they already stopped eating. <laughs> yeah, or they've already <laughs> hit del- they've already hit delete on the episode. <laughs> I'm glad that I ate just before the interview, to be honest. But at any rate, when you uh, uh, drain an abscess, you you have to you, you can't suture it, or you can't just give an antibiotic if there's pus inside. Mm. And then when you stick a scalpel in the pus drains, and then some blood drains. And then if it's a big enough abscess, you need to let it air out. You have to put a drain in there so it can heal from the inside up. And I liken many people who are venting to having an emotional abscess. And there's three steps that I talk about in the uh, Harvard Business Review blog. And the acronym is uh, FAW, like F-A-W. Ah, okay. And And what that stands for is... Frustrated, angry, worried. And so when someone is venting at you, uh, if you, and they come off as angry, if you say to them initially, geez, you sound really angry, a lot of people feel insulted when you, you say, are you angry or you seem angry. And, and it's almost as if you're telling them they don't have the right to, even if you say it in a nice tone of voice. But a lot of people will own up to being frustrated. And so if you say to the person, Uh, when they take a breath, you seem really frustrated. What are you frustrated about? Mm. Most people will find it easy to tell you what they're frustrated about. And so they've entered into a conversation or a dialogue with you. And when they finish saying whatever they're frustrated about, uh, one of the ways to, to go deeper is think of what words had an emotional spin on them And instead of coming back at them, reassuring them, or giving them advice prematurely, what you say to them is, say more about the never or the awful thing that you just said, if they use that word. And what you'll see is they'll they'll vent even more. And if you can notice it, you will see instead of their escalating, they're actually starting to get things off their chest. Now it's safe to say, uh, because a lot of times when people are venting, there is anger in there, but it's not the first thing you want to ask them about. Mm. So the next thing is to say, you know, and, and you seem real angry about it. So, so what are you most angry about? And let and me let point, me ask you here first, Mark, before you even go further, why why not start with the anger pieces? Just because people will um, will lash back if if we talk I, to them I, about well, the I anger. Think, I, I I think if someone to say were to say to you, you sound angry, or geez, you sound really angry. Now some people will open up. Oh, I really am, mm-hmm. but. A number of people will take it personally, like a criticism. You don't have the right to be angry mm. when you when you say that. Whereas frustration is more user friendly. I mean, it's not it's it, it doesn't run the same risk as telling someone that you think they're angry or they seem angry. Got it. Makes sense. And and so you want to get the the talking with them going, and that, and so frustration helps them to talk with you and vent. And then you can get into the anger, and you ask them the same question after they vent whatever they're angry about, and you, you again, select a word that has some emotional spin on it, an extra charge, and some extra anger, and, and you say to them, say more about that. And then what you'll see is they're getting even more off their chest. Now, something that I talk about in both Just Listen and in Real Influence is something called conversation deepeners. And when someone's talking and you identify an emotionally charged word and you say, say more about that, what you'll notice is when people are talking with just a regular uh, voice, 
often they're used, they're, their hands aren't in their pocket. Their hands are often down by their waist as they're expressing themselves. And most people don't keep their hands still. When you say to them, say more about that, something that's emotionally charged, they will start to raise their hands as they're talking. Uh, and the hands will usually be between their hips and shoulder height because they're getting more out. Mm. And then another conversation deepener is after they finish saying that, you can, you can again say, say more about something else or another conversation deeper deepener is to say, really? And then at that point, they'll say, oh yeah, this is really crazy. This is really awful. And you'll often see their hands go up to shoulder height as they're expressing themselves. And what that really means is they're just really getting things off their chest. Mm-hmm. And, and so after you go through those phases... Underneath almost everything that we're angry about, underneath almost everything in life, we're afraid of something. And again, you don't want to use the word, what are you afraid of, because that's too personal. But you can use the word, uh, what are you most worried about? Uh-huh. And then as people start to tell you, well, I'm really worried about this, or I'm really worried that I blew it, or I'm really uh, worried that I'm going to lose my job, or I'm really worried uh, that uh, I, uh, I did something wrong. And then again, you go, deeper into that, well, say more about what you're most worried about. And what you'll begin to notice is that people will start to calm down and be open to having a dialogue with you. Now, something else I talk about in my keynote address is uh, something I suggest to people is that when you're talking to people, probably in any conversation, but especially when these conversations, focus on their left eye Uh, And just stay focused on it, not in an intimidating way, but use it to hold your focus. And imagine that their left eye is attached to their right brain, and their right brain is their emotional brain. Hmm. And our left brain is our analytic brain. So you can actually focus on either eye, but the point is when you're focusing on someone's eye like that, and you're focusing with a belief that there's something underneath whatever they're saying, which is usually their worry, What's fascinating is when you focus on it like that, they can, be, uh, they can be snarling with their mouth, they can be making facial expressions, and you don't even notice it. So it's mm. almost like you're staring into the eye of a hurricane. Wow, interesting. And what happens is uh, when you go through these stages and you're, and you're getting to the, you know, what are you worried about? You, you, will, you will notice that you're very centered they will start to feel safe with you. Because imagine your mind's eye, if someone's venting at you and you start to look away, you're actually communicating fear. Mm. Or if you uh, look away in an indignant way, you're communicating, you know, being judgmental and critical, both of which can escalate the person who's communicating with you. Yeah, and I've certainly seen that happen, and probably you have many times as well, Mark. And um, and so this this all makes a lot of sense, and it and it's a really I, one of the things I like about this this piece you've written is it's a really concise way to handle these situations. And so I wanted to ask you about this the piece you mentioned around the emotionally charged words. You know, it on the on the outside it makes sense, but like when we're in the heat of the moment, what would be a word or what's maybe an example of an emotionally charged word that would be the kind of thing that that would be the indicator of what's maybe that deeper issue that we want to get to with that person? Well, I think the emotionally charged word I can't say in public, and neither can you. It's a, you know, it's, it's usually some <laughs> okay. uh, a swear word, and 
And, and, and it's interesting. Well, I think swear words are used too frequently now. To be honest, even though I'm not a prissy kind of guy, I think we've become vulgar. And I think people use swear words when they really feel like they're not getting their point across. Mm-hmm. When they feel like they're not being heard uh, or they're not being listened to. It's an attention getter. It's an attention getter. And the sad thing is we swear when we're, uh, when we're not feeling that we're getting someone's attention. But the, what happens is the swearing may get them to sort of may, maybe be fearful of us. Uh, and maybe the fear, fearfulness will cause them to do what we say if they're afraid of us. But we're going to be building inside them resentment towards us. Mm. That's why, you know, being angry and fearsome, maybe you can, you can win a game, but you can't win a season being that way. Yeah. I know there are people who are in our listening audience that do have roles and occupations where on a regular basis they're running into very difficult situations. And um, I'm wondering what advice you have for people that were in, when they're in the heat of the moment, what's the best thing they can do to either remember these three things or follow the process or center themselves um, in addition to just remembering that acronym? You mean to calm themselves down? Yeah, because I think I think for at least I can speak for myself. Whenever I've been in these situations, I find that for the first couple of minutes, I'm I'm so overwhelmed by the anger of the other person that sometimes I don't know where to start. And so I'm wondering what, if anything, we could do to either train ourselves or do some thinking in advance of these situations. Of when we get into that, what can well, we do to keep well, there, ourselves? There's home? a talk that I give, uh, a keynote, uh, the simple way to deal with difficult people. And what I would say to people is. I know these people ahead of time. You, in fact, there's something that I suggest to people, uh, which is a novel way of keeping a diet or exercise program. And it's the 30-day uh, difficult person diet. And what I suggest is people write a vertical line down a sheet of paper, and on the left side, list all the people that when you're with, they give you energy, they're, uh, they're grateful to you, they're appreciative of you. When you leave a conversation with them, you feel energized, you feel good, you feel calm. And on the right side, write all the terrible people, the obnoxious people, the takers, the blamers, the whiners, the people who pity themselves. And the reason this can help with dieting and exercising is there is a huge tendency to go off a diet or go off an exercise routine after you've had a close encounter of the worst kind. Hmm. After you've been dealing with someone that is just horrible, there's a tendency to not want to exercise self-discipline. And so uh, when you look at that list of people, those, those difficult people, what I would say is never expect them to not be that way. And what that means is when you enter into a conversation with them, always hold a little bit of yourself back uh, if they get triggered and vented you. Because a lot of the times we uh, run into trouble is because we feel blindsided and as we feel off balance and we're tilting off balance, we'll do anything to get away from this person, including appeasing them. But the people you put on that right side of that piece of paper, who are what I call high-maintenance people, difficult to please, easy to upset, these are people just know that when you're with them, as soon as you're going to ask them to do something, that they don't want to do. 
or if they're going to push you to do something that you don't want to do, they're going to show that ugly side. And, and I think if you know that, and it's interesting, when people follow through with this, they'll, they'll often uh, call me back and they'll say, Dang, Mark, it's so true. I mean, it happens each time with these people. Yeah. It is amazing. It's yeah. exactly what you said, that we're having a conversation, and then it starts to escalate, and wham, there they go with the venting, the accusatory uh, quality, the defensiveness. It's exactly what you said. And, and then when I suggest to them uh, what to then do, to listen as they're venting, what people start to feel, and this is great for leaders, is they feel a sense of mastery. They feel a sense of mastery of a difficult situation. Mm. One of the things I coach most, most leaders with, and this is exactly where my, I've also trained hostage negotiators, this is where this comes in handy, is that um, the, probably the, one of the biggest detriments to companies and success is conflict avoidance. People avoid conflict at all levels. Mm, we sure do. Even people that are confrontational uh, don't particularly like con conflict because it'll trigger them. And what happens is when you avoid conflicts, if you're a leader and your people see that you're avoiding conflict, especially with one of those difficult people, your people start to lose respect for you. And so if you can develop these skills to be able to... Uh, confront anyone or be confronted by anyone and stay centered. It's amazing what it does to other people's regard for you and your own regard for yourself. One of the reasons people avoid conflicts is they believe that they're going to have to confront someone, and the majority of people feel that if you confront another person in the middle of a conflict, it will only make it worse, and the other person will never learn, so why bother? I'm so glad you mentioned that, Mark, because when I think back to people who have been either great leaders or ineffective leaders in my life. Um, you know, as I think about it here, one of the big differentiators has been their ability to, and their willingness to handle conflict and enter into conflict and people who are willing to do that. And even if they don't always feel confident to be able to enter into those tough conversations, um, by and large, I found are much more successful as leaders, uh, and, and and people really appreciate that when they see people making that effort to try to step in and help resolve a conflict or to get dialogue going. It is it is just a it's just night and day almost. Well, I'll give you an anecdote uh, that will I think will send chills through you and and our listeners. It was probably the best demonstration I've ever seen of someone um, uh, showing poise in the midst of something. Uh, it was in 1996, and I was uh, at a national convention in Dallas, and Colin Powell was giving a keynote talk. Mm. And uh, he, was, he was wonderful, and he was being considered as a presidential candidate. And he was talking about giving back to your community and about how grateful he was and uh, uh, the opportunities he's had. And this was a tough audience. These were real estate people, so very transactional people. But he inspired those 10,000 people in the, in the Dallas Auditorium. And then when they asked the questions, one person in the audience raised his hand, and he said, General Powell, uh, I understand that your wife was depressed. I think she was in a psychiatric hospital or something. Maybe she had shock treatment. You want to comment on that, uh, General? And the whole audience went 
quiet. Oh, wow. Yeah, I bet. You hear a pin drop, and I'm thinking, what is General Powell going to do? Is he going to say, well, thank you for bringing that up. I think mental illness should have parity with physical illness. Is he going to ignore the person? Was he going to start crying like someone many years before Edmund Muskie when someone insulted his life? And so what he did instead was to employ this formula that's well to write down, uh, and I'll say it, and then I'll say what General Powell said, aggression plus principle equals conviction. Aggression plus principle equals conviction. Good to be an aggressive athlete. Aggression minus principle equals hostility. So what you want to do is stand up on principle and it emboldens you. So getting back to General Powell, uh, so, so you know what the person said. Uh, you, you want to comment on that, General, about your, your wife being in a hospital? So he pauses and he says, excuse me, sir. The person you love more than anyone in this world is living in hell. And you don't do whatever you can to get them out. Do you have a problem with that, sir? What do you think of them apples, Dave? It's a great response. And gosh, you know... What a what a brilliant uh, mind to be able to think of a response like that in the heat of the moment, you know. And and uh, and you can use the formula that I mentioned: uh, aggression plus principle. And the principle he implied: well, you can talk to me about anything, but you take on my wife, I'm going to protect my wife. Yeah. And one of the principles I suggest people stand up for, if you're with difficult people, is the principle of fair and reasonable. And what you can say to someone, because most people who vent, most high-maintenance people are very unfair and they're very unreasonable and they act very entitled. So one of the things you can come back to them, uh, again, these are more tools, and you can get them in my books, either Just Listen or Real Influence. Uh, the principle of fear and reasonable is to pause. And, uh, and if you pause, sometimes they'll, they'll be curious, you know, what are you thinking about? And you, what you say to them is, I was just trying to think of what you're asking of me is fair and reasonable. Because if it's fair and reasonable and realistic, uh, given our company, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, But if it's not fair and reasonable or realistic, I don't know that I'd be able to do it. So I was just trying to figure out what it is. Mm. And, and can you see from that and from General Powell's example how you can be emboldened by a principle? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the, the reminder for all of us from a leadership standpoint and thinking about handling situations with, this, with these in the moment is being able to, you know, to know what our principles are, to know what our values are, to know what we hold dear. And if we know those things and we've done some thinking and self-reflection on those things as leaders prior to getting in these tough situations that we're a lot more equipped to handle difficult conversations and to handle these Mm -hmm. situations. Like one of my principles uh, in dealing with people and, uh, and I'm in the, I'm in the best place I've ever been in my life, Dave. And part of the reason is about two years ago, I said, I will no longer deal with people that I can't root for. Hmm. I, so I don't let any knuckleheads into my life anymore. And um, and whenever I meet someone in my personal or professional life, 
That's one of the questions I'm asking. You know, could, could I root for this person or could I come to root for this person? Yeah, yeah, cool. And that's my principle because uh, I don't want to help, I don't want to help a person who's mean to other people, who really doesn't bring value to the world, who's 100% pure grade selfish or entitled. Uh, I just don't want to help them. Yeah. Well, this is great, Mark. And I, I want to ask you one other question, but before I ask sure. it, can you tell us uh, the best way for folks to get connected with you, to grab your books, and maybe even say a little bit about Heartfelt Leadership, because I know that's an important project you're working on right now. Well, you can find uh, Just Listen uh, or, or a Real Influence at Amazon.com. Uh, Just Listen is, has been the number one selling book for three years straight for the American Management Association, still is. And real influence is uh, coming up the charts, and that's about how do you persuade people without pushing. Uh, but I also hope you'll visit our site, heartfeltleadership.com, and, and visit our LinkedIn group, Heartfelt Leadership. I manage that group, and I kick out any selling, self-promotion, uh, anything like that. I do it very politely and respectfully. And if you go to Heartfelt Leadership LinkedIn group, you will see some of the most amazing discussions you have read. I mean, the, the way people are bearing their necks and other people are just coming in and bearing theirs, it's a very special community, and I feel honored and privileged to be connected to it. Great. Well, thanks for letting us know about that. I am going to put links to all of those in the show notes, so for those of you listening, you can grab those on the show notes for this episode and, of course, add in comments as well, too. Uh, Mark, before I let you go, you've just had an amazingly successful career. I mean, you mentioned doing hostage negotiation. I know you've done work for the FBI. You've, I mean, the amount of organizations you've been able to influence over the years is really profound. Um, I'm wondering what's something that you've learned about yourself along the way in your experiences that's helped you to be a more effective leader and communicator? Well, I think... Um it was interesting. I was speaking with, uh, I have a mentor named Warren Bennis. If you know anything about leadership, you'll know him. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and I, uh, I just feel honored that we actually love each other. And uh, it doesn't get much better than that. But I told him, I said, you know, I haven't led too many things. And yet leaders seek me out. And he said, Mark, I'm one of the world's authorities on leadership. And the only thing I ever led was uh, briefly being the president of the University of Cincinnati and I didn't like the job, so I moved to USC, and I've been writing on leadership ever since. He said, leadership is about clarity. And when you can see things clearly, like that vision that your customers and clients can't even see but would delight them, or that strategy that is actually doable by average people uh, in your company so it doesn't have to be over people's heads, when you can bring clarity to a situation, there is so much uncertainty and so much doubt, people are just drawn to it. I can't think of a better place to leave it than that. Mark Golston is the author of Just Listen and the co-author of Real Influence, Persuade Without Pushing and Gain Without Giving In. You can find them both on Amazon and on the show notes and also the co-founder of Heartfelt Leadership. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have had you on the show. You made me want to be a better man, so you're a pretty good leader yourself, Dave. Thanks, Mark. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, so if you're looking for the show notes and more information and uh, looking for information to reference, of course, or if you'd like to join the conversation with me and other community members online, go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash 91. That'll get you there. You can always call in feedback to me too. 94938learn is the number for that. And email's great too, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. But I really encourage you, go on the website first, uh, coachingforleaders.com slash 91. Join the conversation there. Love to engage with you and talk more about this. And particularly if, uh, if and when you use these three steps in the near future, love to hear what happens. So whether that's a month from now or six months from now, hop on here and let us know how it went. Hey, I want to say a huge thank you to folks who followed me on social media this week. I know I butcher people's names every week, so I apologize for anyone's name I've butchered. I'm really sensitive to this because I have this horribly long, hard to pronounce last name that no one ever pronounces right. Um, So anyway, I hope I'm close on most of these. Thanks to Peter Ocheng, Ken J. Almadan, Sue Floramonti, Sean Richardson. There's a there's an easy name, Sean. Thanks. Chris Edmonds, Sela Costantino, Balaji Muralidaharan. Oh, Balaji, I'm sorry if I uh, if I butchered that one. Africa Hands. Hey, Africa, thanks for the tweet this week too. And Matthias Yarnhall for following me this week on social media. Hey, if you'd like to stay connected as well, I do send out articles links, uh, just like the article I found from Mark how to listen when someone is venting. I send those things out throughout the week as I'm reading, as I'm engaging with people online. So um, go to coachingforleaders.com, find the social media icons on this page, connect with whichever network you like and enjoy uh, doing. So feel free to do that. And also a very special thank you to William Shaker for your really kind written review on iTunes. Uh, William, I really appreciate your thoughts. It was so great to connect with you in the past, uh, and I hope everything's going great uh, with your project as well. Hey, if this show's been valuable to you, please leave a written review on iTunes. You can do that by going to coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. And that's just a great way to help other people to find the show. And I'm uh, tremendously grateful anytime uh, folks do that. And uh, I should mention too, I don't always get access to the reviews that are outside of the US. So for those of you who have left a review from another country on iTunes, um, if you've done that and I haven't recognized you on the show, please drop me a email and let me know. Feedback at coachingforleaders.com. I would love to recognize you and to thank you personally. Hey, um, if you'd like a midweek booster shot, I send out my email article every week by email. That makes sense. An email article by email. (laughs) Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. Hey, for those of you who aren't uh, getting that article yet, when you subscribe, you also get instant access to my uh, about eight-minute overview of the 10 books that will help you to become a more effective leader. I talk you through all 10. Uh, I've read them all, walk you through why I like them, how they'd be helpful to you. So again, if that's of interest to you, go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe and you'll get lots more value from me each week as well. Hey, uh, feel free to drop me a line anytime I can be helpful. Lots of great shows and guests coming up in the next few weeks. I can't wait. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.